Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cheese and Pickle. Hello, this is Comfort Blanket and I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to be talking to someone who makes cool stuff that I like. I'm going to talk to them about some warm stuff that they like. A book or a TV show or a record or a film that they find comforting and they return to again and again whenever they need to feel better. Um, we'll have a natter about it and see if we can work out just what is so magical about it and what makes them want to keep going back to it. This time I'm going to be talking to the journalist, critic and writer Stephanie Merritt. Steph writes for The Guardian and The Observer and has written a series of historical novels under the name S.J. Paris and is just about to bring out a psychological thriller called The Storm in uh, summer of 2022 uh, and she has chosen as her comfort blanket the travel and cookery shows The Hairy Bikers. We're going to cook the mother of all kebabs. Here we are in one of the oldest houses in Marden. Over there is Syria. And we are about to demonstrate probably the only ever build of a Donna kebab on British television. And we're going to show you how to do it from the conception, the labour, to the delivery. So you've chosen something which is an example of a very specific sort of television that very often people are afraid to name as their favourite television. I love the Hairy Bikers. You have no shame of this? Well, this is, not this at is... all. I, I have loved them for many years and they bring me so much joy and it is joy for all the family. I, I love everything they do. Did you get into them because you were interested in their cooking? As in, like, did you find one of their recipes online or one of their cookbooks and then watch the TV programme? Or was it the TV programme first? It, it was the TV programme. And um, the strange thing is I don't really like cooking programmes at all. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not very interested um, because I'm not very interested in cooking. I think maybe because I don't particularly like cooking, I've always found cookery programmes quite intimidating. Yeah. Um, I, I think the bikers are in a different league from that because what I get from their programmes is that it's about friendship. Yes. And travel and food, which, you know, those three things I think are enormously comforting to everybody. I think most of us would agree are three of the greatest joys in life, food, friendship and travel. Um, I don't ever watch their programmes with uh, any kind of expectation that I would ever go and make one of those (laughs) recipes or attempt one of those recipes. They're all kind of quite hard work. A teaspoon of fenugreek, teaspoon salt. A teaspoon of turmeric, some ground coriander and some freshly ground cumin. But it was my son who got me into them, oh, actually. Right. That was where I first 
discovered them. He used to like watching them and he does a brilliant impression of both right. of them. Um, <laughs> but he would have been sort of quite, he's 20 now, but he would have been maybe sort of 11, 12, right. 13 when he first got into them. He likes cooking and he has made some of their recipes. Paneer is a funny cheese. It's like a cross between Lancashire cheese, cottage cheese and latex. But again, I think for him, it was more about the kind of the bikes and the travel and the, yeah. and the camaraderie. With a drum roll from my Geordie drumming friend... Because the setup of the show, it's it's part of a journey that cooking programs have been on since the beginning. They are they are the modern iteration of what these kind of shows are, and they've discovered something which you've just explained perfectly, which is the cooking isn't important. It's a really strange thing to realise that that it, there was a Rethian thing in cooking programs when they first came out. They would teach you how to make the recipes. And then I had a dirty letter from a viewer. I wrote back to her and I said, you tell me exactly what you did. Because if you did what I did, that's what I wrote down, that was what you ate, and it should have been perfect. I think the giveaway used to be they used to put the recipe on the screen. So you could yeah. write it down, or they put it in the Radio Times and go, if you want to cook Delia's shepherd's pie that she's made, here's how to do it. And I started off with a chicken, three and a half pounds, cut into four, and these have been browned nicely to give a good golden crust. And it was the moment they stopped putting the recipes on screen, and you went, oh, I'm not meant to be learning from this, I'm just meant to be wallowing. Yeah. We'll ride across great plains, vast deserts, and through must-sing cities and small-town communities. Well, I think the whole evolution of um, cooking programmes on TV, it's quite interesting. There's a, a novel that has just come out called Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. It's a first novel, and it's about a 1950s TV chef. And I, I think there's an interest in that. So there's this, also the HBO series about Julia Child yes. has just come out. And those very early iterations of, of cooking programmes, they were about teaching housewives how yes. to be better, uh, you know, domestic goddesses. But does your husband grouse because the picnic food you give him isn't as appetising as the meals prepared in your kitchen? And, and I think there was definitely that idea of Delia, you know, it was about teaching you how to cook. What you need when you're cooking pasta is eight minutes. And it has definitely changed, I think, as foods become more of a lifestyle thing yeah. the people have become interested in the provenance of food so the the bikers do a lot of that they will go and visit um the farmers who are raising the lambs or the people yeah. who are making the gin or whatever it is they'll, they'll kind of go back to the source because i think we've all got as we've become more of a foodie nation we've yeah. become much more interested in, in where the food is coming from today best of british food hero richard waller is the country's last remaining breeder of this small but important part of our food history which without his family's efforts, could have disappeared completely. You know, the bikers have been around such a long time. And I think when they first started out, the idea was that they they were not like Delia. You know, they, yeah. they would appeal to, they were a couple of kind of big working class northern guys on bikes who were not afraid to also really love kind of taking trouble over a, you know, a very delicate pastry. So yeah. it was the idea that cooking could appeal to people who were not women for a start, yeah. you know, who, who were maybe thought that cooking wasn't really for them. And I think that's where it started off, sort of trying to bring the idea of cooking to a wider audience. And gradually, as they have kind of got older, and the programmes and, and what, what they are doing has evolved along with it. I mean, they're, they're an interesting way of doing a cookery programme in that they're very... I would call them sort of post-Jamie. I remember there being a shift in cookery programs when I watched them on television from being the sort of master chef Lloyd Grossman thing of it looked like it was a chemistry mm. experiment that Gary Rhodes and people like that and MasterChef would make it look like only 
the very elite people could do this. They were Michelin-starred chefs. It was almost impossible. Yes, it is. Yes, uh, asparagus and salmon go quite well together. You okay, and then rack of Northumbrian lamb, yeah. cuisine de terroir. Yeah, that's, that's right. Good regional right. cooking. And then Jamie turns up and he's throwing things into the pan. It was very masculine. Lots of that bosh, bosh, bosh. Yeah. Thing. Cooking's got to be a laugh. It's got to be simple. It's got to be tasty. It's got to be fun. And they're very much post that, fused with, I mean, the format is clearly a cousin of the two fat ladies. Well, we're here. Here we are. Sharks, Finn. What a lovely name. Well, there are lots of sharks around here, apparently. Not such a lovely thing. No. Don't like them at all. Yuck. They're quite good eating, though. But they're excellent. There's, yeah. a, there's a bike and there's two people who go together on an eccentric vehicle. I mean, the Alan Partridge pitch is really easy to do. They're on an eccentric vehicle and they go to yeah. visit interesting places and they cook there. Or they cook there. I circumnavigate the globe, only driving through countries where, where they drive on the left. <laughs> uh, I do it in a lovely old bullnose Morris. But what it came with was the two fat ladies were very posh. And again, it felt like something that maybe only belonged to posh people. The class element, the northern element, I was watching the episodes where they go and do the north. They seem to be saying that cookery and a love of cookery and a love of food wasn't Sunday supplement wasn't to do with like the Observer Food Monthly. Mm. It didn't belong to posh people. We're visiting a friend of mine who runs a bakery on a local housing estate. It's not where you'd necessarily expect to find an artisan bakery, but that's exactly what this fantastic place is. What they're trying to do with this is, is say a delicate masculinity includes a love and appreciation of food and where it comes from. It's not blokey at all. And it's two big hairy blokes on bikes. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? It was just like simple pleasures, doing that with your dad. It was brilliant till I was about eight, and then my mum got multiple sclerosis, and that was catastrophic. And she couldn't cook, and my dad took over the cooking. You know, for three years, living on tin mints, smash, and peas. I got £10, I got did the shopping for the week. We also meant I got to choose what the family ate. That's a big responsibility, isn't it? Yeah, mind you, I think some of my first, first cookery efforts were a bit cack-handed. You know. Look at you now, though, Mucker. Yes! As part of that, it's the way they connect with people, and that has certainly become something that, that they've developed as the series have, have gone on, that they will go and meet people who are working men and women who are producing, yeah. you know, raising animals or um, producing, I don't know, going out fishing every it's day. Sort of, or, it sort of crosses over with sort yeah. of country file in that sort of way. Yes. It, there's, there's a, there is a documentary element to this, which is quite... It's not just silly adventures. They're not. They're not just having larks yeah they go and see people who are doing interesting things to do with farming and sustainability and uh, access and things they'll go and see people who are like running a kitchen for autistic kids yeah. or whatever there's <clears throat> a real sense of that public service that i think is a recent have they it, headed that way? it's a more recent development and i think you know you asked me kind of when i got into them and when i started watching them some of the very early series they did there was a lot of banter and yeah. they told a lot of sort of slightly risque jokes that you couldn't <laughs> quite get on. You know, you, you had to be a bit careful on the BBC. And there's one episode where they go to, um, I think it's Vietnam, and Sai uh, gets pissed and falls off a wall and has to spend the rest of it, the rest of the oh. trip with his leg in plaster <laughs> and off his tits on morphine. Those ones aren't on iPlayer at the no, moment. No, we've got the DVD of that one at home. <laughs> steady, madam, steady. Oh. So at the beginning, there was something quite blokey about it. They have a nuclear fusion of wind food, aren't they? They are. They're nitroglycerine. They're playing with fire with a sprout. Even though, you know, weirdly, they they 
both came out of these, you know, not privileged working class backgrounds in the North. Uh, but they met working in television, and Dave was in fact a makeup artist. You know, yeah, so I, they did have these sort of not particularly blokey oh, jobs. Oh, this is really up. Their backgrounds are fantastic. They're presenting and they're playing characters, as it were. You read them on screen and go, "These are two ordinary blokes. They're old mates. They're old biker mates." And you go, "Oh no, they met on a Catherine Cookson adaptation." Yeah, Cy was a location manager. I was, he was a second AD on on the Catherine Cookson, but he'd been the location manager on Harry Potter. He did the first two Harry Potter yeah. films, and Dave was the makeup guy. He apparently was one of the first male makeup girls, and did the two Ronnies. Yeah, so he basically they're both. Steeped in television, I think the delicious artifice of this is that they know television. They know how to come across on television. Yeah. It's not unconsidered. It's a very knowing, clever, well-fabricated thing. But I think at the root of it is something real, which is their friends. Oh, absolutely. And they, and they have been friends for a long time. And one of the things that I think has changed, and for me, the turning point, they did this show, The Hairy Dieters, which I think was maybe 2011. It was, it was quite a long time ago now. Yeah. Where they, you know, they were both significantly overweight. They made this show about, you know, how you can continue to cook interesting, good food that tastes good, but also lose weight yeah. doing it. And they were really open on this show and they talked about you know their childhoods um Cy talked about how he kind of comfort ate after his dad died when he was right. eight and about he talked about being bullied as a fat kid at school and they both talked about why they had difficulties with keeping the weight off they talked about wow. stuff that you don't often hear men talk about yes Cy, you had some days where your energy intake was up around the three thousand. Mm-hmm. But you had a couple where I didn't get the evening meal and the alcohol. So on our yeah, fridge... Yeah, no, actually, but, but, well, actually, I had a barbecue. Yeah. And, and I was drunk, which is why I forgot. But what we're talking about was Wayne. Yeah, but how many bottles? Be honest. Two. Two bottles of wine to yourself. I know, but I hadn't eaten. So there was that kind of vulnerability in that show. And that has kind of carried through, I think, to some of the other shows, because in recent years they've had kind of health problems they've had mental health you know simon had um, a brain aneurysm i think yeah, was very yeah. seriously ill a few years ago dave uh, as you know people probably know now has cancer and is having treatment for cancer but all the way through they've talked about these issues they've made that part of the program you know yeah. having these quite intimate chats about stuff that you know that you don't often hear men discussing yeah. and certainly not in a public Forum, and I think that is part of their appeal. Yeah, there, there's definitely a knowingness and a performance about it, but I think you do see a willingness to be vulnerable, which definitely wasn't there in the early shows, and they've now made part of their personas, I think. Which is the end of the book too, wasn't it? But all that week you've been complaining about your headache. Yeah. Ended up in bloody hospital with a brain hemorrhage. I oh. know. I drove home, and you went home, and you were going, I'm just going to I'm going to get my head down, Dave. But I'm really pretty lucky. If I'd had gone back to bed... I would have died. They were ambiently in the culture. I knew who they were. When you suggested the Harry Buckets, I hadn't watched many of their shows. I must have caught one or two. So I hadn't watched these early ones. I watched the ones that are currently available. And I went, oh my God, this is really, I wasn't expecting them to be like this. They're very open. They do a thing that men don't do, which is they get together, they ride up on their bikes, they have a big bacon and eggs or whatever, and they sit down and they talk about real stuff. And I went, oh, this is exciting. Yeah. I didn't realize where it would come from. And I wrote a note and said, oh my God, this is the anti-top gear. Yes, there's that's no, it's exactly what it there's is. There's no attempt. And weirdly, if you know anyone who's worked with the Top Gear guys, they're not like that. That's a character they play. That Jeremy Clarkson is a member of the RSPB and tries to do conservation work. They're playing these ludicrous characters. And what you're saying is that when the show started out, it was far more part of that male banter thing yeah. where you're playing up to a part and it's, it's antics and things like that. Yeah. And what's happened is that they've 
they've realized they've got a platform here to be more honest and probably what more what they're like in real life yeah and the cars came along the street there was two police cars and two motorcycle outriders and an ambulance uh rushed out into the um into the ambulance and just sped off and that was really the last time i saw him at home and the next time i saw him i was saying goodbye because he was dying in hospital because the because the anti-rejection drugs then weren't as sophisticated oh, as they so are the now kidney didn't work. so the kidney didn't work so there was that massive peak of hope that oh, dad was going to be all right because he was a fit man you know yeah, yeah, yeah and then he just and then it was just all taken away so that was you know some happy memories but that's life isn't it you know you have yeah. you have happy memories and you have very dark yeah. and sad memories um and there's a link here when you're talking about why you watch something for comfort, you do want to see stuff. You want to be taken somewhere, especially in lockdown. You want to be taken somewhere interesting. You want to passively consume some food. I mean, food yeah. programs are weird. You don't get to eat it, but it's nice to watch people have a nice time. But you want to watch people be friends. And a program where the friends are really being friends and really being honest with each other is a better program than one where they're just playing characters. And if yeah. it's... If it's opened up to that, it's understandable that that, that would be more comforting because you're going to feel that they trust each other and they trust you, I suppose, as a viewer. Yeah. Remember, I, I got the phone call. I came over and you, you were in intensive care then. Yeah, you were. You, you were very frightened. I could tell you were frightened. And then I came came the next morning and you sent me to, for a pork pie. <laughs> I thought he might, call, he might pull for it. <laughs> and I do think that that... That began with the um, with the weight loss programs, and that's right. how you know. And I remember when that was on, my son kind of wanting to make some of those recipes, and he actually ended up losing a stone as a result wow. of being inspired by that program. Part of their appeal is that they do realise that that kind of being more honest and being more open about who they are and what they struggle with, you know, while also still having a laugh and still making stuff that's fun and interesting to watch them make it. And then, of course, like you say, the travel thing. So we watched tons, my, my son and I, over the, the lockdowns. The BBC had very generously put some of the earlier stuff back on. And so just watching some of those travel shows, you know, in a year when you couldn't travel, to yeah. watch them kind of getting on their bikes and going around the, around the Baltic. There was one they did around the Baltic. And, uh, and it was just lovely just to watch them, you know, visiting. And they're always, they're so interested. Yeah. And that's what I love about them as well. They're enthusiasts. There's absolutely no kind of cynicism in what they do at all. They are, they're interested in every person they meet. They're interested in how things are made, how you can you know, give something a different twist or put a different yeah. kind of flavour into something. And I just love that. They're always so excited wherever they are, whether it's kind of Blackpool Pier or you know, the Swedish Forest <laughs> or wherever it is, they're just thrilled to be there. And um, what that a lovely job. We're travelling further than we've ever done before. It's funny, when you watch a programme, you're sort of saying, well, how are you transforming the experience you're having? What ingredient are you adding that makes this into television? And I think there always used to be the assumption, there probably still is the assumption, that you need to send stand-ups. Because what they'll do is they'll take a sideways look at where they're going. And I really like, uh, I've been really enjoying Joe Lysett's uh, mm. Travel Man, so yeah. I think he's a really good choice for that. That's really working for me. But I'm also slightly aware that when you send a stand-up, one of the things they're going to do is take the piss. Yeah. And I start to go, oh no, because that poor person's running a a shoe museum yeah, and there's a joke yeah. in the fact that it's a shoe museum and they're a bit boring oh leave them alone don't bully them whereas if you just send enthusiasts it's a bit more blue peter it's a bit more oh they're just going to be happy to be there yeah and i'll feel safer at home that no one got hurt making this and when you're looking exactly. for comfort viewing i don't want someone being acerbic or taking a sideways view i want someone to just say that was lovely thanks for making me cheese on toast i've always wanted to know how to make proper sweet and sour sauce how marvelous is this this one place they go in, oh God, it's one of the Baltic states, I can't remember, but 
where all there is to eat is smoked fish and then they meet this family that's been smoking fish for sort of eight generations and they try to have a conversation about the smoking of the fish and, and there really is nothing more to say other than we hang this fish up and then we smoke it and then they eat the smoked fish with nothing else and yet somehow they managed to stay excited and to make yeah. these people feel that it's the best thing they've ever eaten and it's there's an still... alchemy to it I think absolutely what, and yeah. I think one of the things I noticed watching it was again you're following this history through of how this is comfort viewing. It's ambient television. It's not a sitcom. It's not a drama. It's not a documentary. It's it's a thing of its own, and it has a heritage. And the heritage comes from, I think, probably not even cooking programs, but magazine programs. It's a sort of distant cousin of Nationwide. Bob Owen doesn't deal in heart measures when he's dealing with eggs. There are in these glasses here forty-eight, or there will be when he's finished cracking them. Every one of them raw. And he reckons he's the unofficial egg-eating champion of Great Britain. There are different elements to it. There's, there's, there's friends chatting. There's some nice shots of them on bikes. They arrive somewhere and give you a little bit of history, and then they eat. And that's it. Yeah. There's the four elements. And you go, well, that's a bit of cooking show. It's a bit pebble mill. It's the kind of thing that used yes, to be on. Exactly. You go, oh, I'm used to watching this. I'm used to being interested in this. But it's presented, weirdly, without a lot of additional bulk. There's not any sketches they're not trying to make you laugh and if you want to laugh at the herring family you do that at home yeah. on the sofa they leave that to you but they're so guilelessly enthusiastic yeah. that you don't feel anyone's being mean and actually maybe that's comforting and you know quite the opposite if i think what they've done in in recent series it was very apparent in the one i mean you mentioned the the one where they go through the north of england yeah um which is i think still available on iPlayer in its its entirety. So, uh, you know, that's a nice one to start with. One thing I really noticed in that was that they have tried, and it's done very well, and it's not done with any kind of messagey or sort of preachy kind of preamble, but they have highlighted a lot of social enterprises. So they they visit a garden in Cumbria where people with mental health issues go to as a sort of therapy to work on the garden, and they grow vegetables there. Uh, And then they visit, you know, one Syrian refugee family who've set up a cafe you know and they talk about how difficult it was for them to come to this country and and then si and dave you know eat their food and go out and say god what an amazing thing what an amazing thing dave that people have brought this their you know their culture and their cuisine to this little town in the north of england and it's all done as an incredibly positive sort of there will be people who will call all of this woke but it's a way of kind of highlighting positive things yeah. without making a big red flag going you know here's a worthy thing you know here's a bit of diversity it's all woven into the show and that's quite a new thing because I, I remember catching I think it must have been over the lockdown there was one series they did and I I can't remember how old it was, but they did a, a series about the food of the British Empire, the kind of culinary legacy. This is already heading in a dangerous the, well, it direction. Was, it was extraordinary because there was the, they they did this program, and all the way through, I'm waiting for them to say something <laughs> about about the fact that you know there was a bit more than kind of gin and Christmas pudding. Yeah. The British Empire, and literally about two minutes before the end, Sai sort of looks very earnestly at the camera and says, "No, not everything about the British Empire was as great as Christmas pudding, or something like that." And you think, wow, shit, that's, you know... Times have changed. Yeah, it, and it it felt so tone deaf compared to what you would do now. But obviously this was, you know, years yeah. old, this show. So I definitely think there's been a move towards using the show to kind of highlight things that, you know, what it's like to be a refugee coming to this country yeah. where, you know, you were a doctor and now you run a little bakery or a cafe or whatever it is. But that's because that's all you had to bring with you. 
There's a lovely one where they go to Newcastle, which is where Sai's from, and they go to a little place that's making stotties, and it's an artisan bakery, and it's on a pretty rough estate under a concrete overpass. Oh, yes. And it yeah. looks like something from like a really hipster, again, Star Magazine, Observer Food Monthly kind of amazing place. But they're doing these things and selling them for two quid. Because yeah. the guy just says, look, it's just baking. Ordinary people should be able to eat good fresh food as well. And I went, yeah. Oh, I don't think I've seen many shows do that where they've said at the end of it, and how much does it cost? And the other guy goes, two quid. Yeah. And if you only got 50p, we'll do you a pie. Yes. And you went, oh, to find, that's lovely. I always get the impression that, that there's a lot of work has gone on behind the scenes to find these businesses to choose who you're going to highlight. And yeah. you're not highlighting necessarily the high end stuff. You're highlighting the people that have worked really hard to build up from nothing or people who are doing exactly that, saying, you know, why shouldn't people who live on a rough estate, be able to have lovely sourdough. And, you know, why should it not be for them as well? Yeah, so I, I just, I love the direction that it's moved in as well. Cause I, and I think that yeah. is all part of, it's all part of them being willing to be more open on camera. Yeah. And uh, that's really interesting. I could obviously, not knowing it as a, as a developing, ongoing narrative, I hadn't seen that happen. I just dropped in and went, oh, I'm surprised about how uh, accessible and open and honest and, and sort of modern the whole thing felt. Because it is something that is done in the style of shows which are much more cartoonish. Yeah. And it had this honesty to it. And it still maintained that. I, re- I rewatched, just to compare it with, I watched a, uh, an episode of uh, Two Fat Ladies. And you forget, yeah. that opens with them as little Aardman plasticine oh, yes. characters yeah, yeah, yeah. in an animated thing singing a song. And I went, oh God, they're literally cartoons. And then that comes across the hairy bikers and you go, oh, they're just cartoons. They are the hairy bikers. What a strange, because they're not. They're the hairy TV people. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of them, I didn't realise that as well, Dave had uh, alopecia as a kid, like Matt Lucas style. And he's only been hairy for a few years. Yeah. Um, so basically they are a constructive persona. The hairy bike is a great thing. It's uh, it's sellable. It's a great, They've basically they've started their own business. Like you might start yeah. a cafe with the hairy biker guys. So it's all constructed and they are cartoon characters. What I was really surprised by is that these cartoon characters who I'd only seen doing promo and on books and things like that actually were incredibly honest and sharing about, there's a lovely bit where one of them sits down and they, they just have lunch and talk about the, aneurysm about rushing into hospital how frightened he was for his friend and he went oh i wasn't expecting that again very progressive talking about male fear male vulnerability but having said that you know from the age of 16 i was desperate to get out you know yeah but when your dad was ill it can't have all been happy memories here kingy no it wasn't it wasn't my dad was um very poorly in that house and i think what's interesting is there's been a rise in those kind of male friendship programs i mean i think i don't know how many you'd need i think it's three for a trend if you work in a newspaper you've got to have three three of something to say it's a trend but plot um, a line but if you're thinking about you know in recent years you've got the trip you've got uh, gone fishing the idea that there is an audience for middle-aged men talking frankly to their friends about stuff that you don't often hear yeah. men talking about. Well, the bikers were doing that long before yes. those shows were on TV. And and they were, but like you say, they were kind of smuggling it in among the recipes and among the travel and the banter and, and everything else. And that I think they've realised that that is what plays now to an audience. It's just been so interesting to watch their career and how that's changed and how clearly the producers are also looking at the way their audience has changed and yes. what the audience is going to respond to and, and how it obviously was at the beginning being aimed at, you know, let's get blokes interested in a cookery yeah. show. Let's have a cookery show that men who like bikes and, you know, yeah. bollock jokes will watch. And now it's like, now they're that bit older and they've been through some stuff and they talk, they'll talk about divorce and they'll talk about their kids. And That's plotting not only a, a development in, in this show and in their relationship, but a development culturally and saying that they're, and, and being at the, 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 the front end of that, of pushing that further. Yeah. There's a connection here immediately that, that occurs to you, which is the final point we've got to on this journey from cookery show to sort of 
lifestyle experience friendship show would be Mortimer and Whitehouse Gone Fishing, which is something where you go, well, they've always struggled for years to put fishing on television. It's the most popular pastime that way outstrips football, but it's not very televisual. It doesn't work. And the answer was, well, it's kind of a cookery show. It's kind of the bikers with those two guys in it. And they talk about heart attacks and health. Oh, but what's in me porridge? Heart healthy wise, dates, pears. What have I told you, Paul? What is the beauty of them? They sort of seek and destroy cholesterol. Is that right? Bad cholesterol? Yeah. Move around your bloodstream. Yeah. See a bit of cholesterol. Gotcha. Whoa. Gotcha. And the person who produced the, uh, produced and directed the bikers stage show is Bob Mortimer. Yeah. So he's obviously yeah. seen this and gone, it's just two blokes talking. And he knows, obviously, his career is based on him and his friend making each other laugh. Yeah. He's gone, this is a good thing. And Bob Mortimer's talked very openly about. He talked about it on Adam Buxton's podcast that he suddenly got really into podcasting. He said, I like just listening to people chat and be friends. And it's a lovely Adam Buxton podcast with, with Bob where he talks about realising it's almost a new medium, just yeah. people talking to each other. I've been doing fishing show with Paul Whitehouse is teach, teaching me how to fish. And instantly much more interesting than the fishing is the characters associated with it that you come across. And you can see that's what's happened with this and what's eventually happened with Gone Fishing. How relaxing, how comforting yeah. those shows are. We go, remove as much of the format as you can. Leave it in. We know you're in safe hands. We know we're going to hit our format points. Yeah. But I just want to listen to two people who like each other and they can just hang out. And it doesn't matter what they're doing. You could do one where they were, I don't know, firing arrows into a tree and I'd still watch it. They can be fishing or cooking or a bike. Yeah. doesn't matter. They travel somewhere. I have something to look at and they talk about life and they're fairly honest. And they might rib each other a bit, but no one's going to get hurt. Yeah. And it's kind of like the cousin of slow television, that thing where you'd sort of, they'd put a camera on a canal boat and you'd yes. watch it for six yeah. hours. Go, it's more sure. of that. It's lovely. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. They have tried to play around with the format right. over the years. And at one point, I think it was 2013, they did this show. Uh, it was called something like the Hairy Bikers Restoration Road Trip, where they went around on their bikes. And instead of cooking, they were going to visit industrial things that had broken oh, right. down, like an old kind of steam carousel or something yes, that needed fixing. And, uh, and like they the mice get- from Bagpuss, but on bikes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And they would get taught how to fix these things. And cool. um 
and it was okay, but it didn't work in the same way because it wasn't it wasn't their thing. And while they could clearly kind of show an interest in this old steam engine yeah. that needed a new piston put in it and have a go at mending it, it was all very sort of repair shop before the fact. Um, but it wasn't the thing that they were passionate about. And I think yeah. that's why you take the hairy bikers out of the cooking context and it then they just become any old presenters. And it doesn't quite work. I think you need them to be doing their thing that they love, which is cooking together, yeah. and also finding out about the place that they're in, mm. meeting the people, and then using all the finding out the local recipes. And that is what makes the show. That's the magic of it, because it's got to have all of those different aspects. That's an odd thing, because one of the things about this, this show is that you kind of think, I don't care what they're doing. They could be doing something else. There used to be, with cookery programmes, you would have uh, an authority to be on it. So the MasterChef guys, they're the best mm. chefs in the world. Or or Keith Floyd has run and failed to keep open several restaurants because <laughs> he was pissed. But he had an authority. Yeah. Uh, and there was an assumption that uh, Jamie Oliver is at the River Cafe. He's the fucking best. These guys, I looked it up and I, I was trying to find in their life story where the cooking came in. And they'll tell you their story. So we met on TV and we love bikes and now we do this show. And I went, when did you find out you like cooking? They never tell the story of that. Mm. It's almost as if, I mean, if you want to be suspicious, you would say, I bet they'd never cooked before and went off and secretly got a course so they get a television series. But it's never said. They never say we met uh, at a cookery class, we were running a restaurant together. That element of it is not an essential part of their personas. Yeah. But I think, as you just pointed out by saying if they went and did repairs instead, it's so organic and it's so effortless. Their love of food is so obvious and their love and their interest in it is so obvious that you don't care that they sort of have, they're not Michelin-starred chefs, they're not Heston Blumenthal. Yeah, You've and never I don't heard know of these if they're guys. even trained, to be honest. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know if they have kind of any sort of professional cookery training or if it was just a hobby that they kind of That's developed how it feels. and, and I think and makes loved. it accessible. Yeah, I, I think, think it was. That makes you think, oh, obviously you don't, but you might think, I'll have a go, I'll make those. I liked that the cooking element was almost... Well, these programs are always about food. Rick Stein's one's about food, and he travels and he talks to his dog, and that's nice. And I feel that when I'm wherever I'm watching Gone Fishing, I go, "Why are they cooking a meal?" I know what they're famous for, and they're famous for doing silly voices. They're not famous for cooking. Yeah, but organically, as almost as part of the feeling of comfort, as you said, what do we like? We like travel. We like friends. And we like food. Those things make us happy. So if they didn't cook food, you'd go, "What? what when are they going to have food?" It's almost like part of a an undeclared deal with the audience is that when you watch one of these shows, you'll be comforted at some point by some food turning up. Yeah, exactly. And you don't it care is, why. And it's, a, <laughs> and, and it's about, there is that kind of communal. So they always cook when they do their travel shows. They cook for a group of people yes. that they have met and they'll cook some big meal and get everyone together. And they did one when they did their Route 66 one. They cooked for these Amish people who are not, you know, <laughs> I don't know, either not allowed to speak or laugh or something yeah. at the time. But wherever they go, they make the sharing of food something really celebratory, which it clearly has always been for them in their lives. Um, on the shows, you'll see them at home. You'll see them cooking in their own kitchens with their own families. Yeah. It's very welcoming. It makes people yeah. feel like they're part of that shared experience. You don't need no bibs here. You're going to use your fingers. Yeah, there you go. Man, I put my arm down. Oh, cool with a wrist. Yeah. Man, this is amazing. I suppose it's very, very fundamentally human that they gather around a fire with strangers and break bread, yeah, like two exact. tribes yeah, meeting. Yeah. Um, not going to war. The two tribes don't go to war. They <laughs> cook together. It's a really... We were talking about why is this comforting. And actually, I'm now thinking of the hierarchy of comfort viewing where near the top of it is Bake Off. There's cooking. They're just going to cook and make things. Weirdly, the sewing bee, not as relaxing. Mm. I like the pottery one. 
not as relaxing. Portrait artists enjoy that, but they're not going to actually have dinner. If they put food into all of those, yeah. it'd be even better. They should just put food into everything. News night, question time. Yes. Should force everyone to bring a cake. <laughs> but I think I think we're talking about something here where it seems to be I'm not being I sound like I'm being cynical by saying I couldn't find any evidence of their cooking credentials. I sort of don't care because the yeah. show works. It feels that these like these programs are so essentially they have to be about food. They have to be about humans traveling to a new place, meeting people, getting on, learning. So they're open-minded, being friends together, and then eating something yeah. nice. And if all those elements are in place, as you said, you feel comforted because I think they're really prominent. It's almost the hierarchy of needs that you need shelter. Yeah, exactly. So they turn up at a house or they built a tent up and you go, oh, they've got shelter. Yeah. And have they got uh, friendship and love? Yes, look, they love each other. So they've got love. That's on the hierarchy of needs. Brilliant. And then you do the, uh, oh, are they, are they hungry? Oh, they're going to eat. And you go, well, they're going to be fine. Yeah. And it's so primal below the level of any critical faculties you go as long as i can watch some humans yeah. getting love and shelter and food exactly i will be is. happy and i also think <laughs> so for me you know i've never um i don't love cooking i find cooking quite a stressful experience this is brilliant. particularly <laughs> if there's any i mean particularly if is that what you want to watch other people do <laughs> yeah but also the thing that i don't enjoy watching is um i don't get any comfort from a cookery show where there is any element of kind of time pressure or competitiveness. <laughs> yes, chef. Giovanni. Robert. Oh, you, Andrew. Come here, you. All three of you are pathetic. You don't care. I care, chef. You're way behind and you haven't got a fucking clue. Can we work together as a team? Yes, yes chef. I don't get, I just don't get it because it, I over-empathise with the people yes. because that's the thing that stresses me about cooking is <laughs> the idea, although I have to say, I've got, but the, the rise of the kind of, one tray or one pot meal. Yeah. I'm very much into that because I can do just chuck it all Actually, in the, the oven. Bikers cook a lot of that and stuff. They do do that. There's a um, lot of stuff where they're just pouring a lot of wine into the bottom of yeah. a tray. Some onions. I go. This looks great. I think I could probably do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the, so for me, it's the that idea of time pressure and and stressing about. There's quite a lot of maths involved in cooking. <laughs> <laughs> and particularly alarms going got, off. Yeah, and, and if you've got sort of several different timers and different people, and then you've got hungry people coming and expecting something that is edible at the end of it. <laughs> All of that stresses me enormously. 90 minutes, comfort food, let's cook. A terrible oh, Christmas yeah. dinner, yeah. yeah. can't do it. For years, we went out for Christmas lunch. We yeah. would go to find a pub that served Christmas lunch <laughs> and go out and do it because it just took all of that pressure off. So what I love about the bikers <laughs> is that, you know, there's no kind of stress about it. You just feel you're in completely safe yeah. hands. They know exactly what they're doing. There's two of them for a start. So one of them does one bit and one of them looks after the I other. I love that one of them will come um, over and just like sort of, I know, grind some pepper yeah. into it you know, it's really nice watching two people not in each other's way at a, at a stove yeah which is what happens to me if i try and cook and someone comes over to help oh god it's really stressful don't lean over my shoulder yeah yes there's two of them so the pressure isn't on one of them yeah and their they, friends so got they their share back out the yeah. st- they share out the, the stuff that's what i find really comforting i love watching that because there's no kind of nobody's judging it at the end or the yeah. only people who are gonna judge it are the people they've invited to share it, and you know it's going to be. I'm good, afraid this week, Sai, you're going home. Yeah, it's just going to be Dave next yeah, week. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. No one gets voted off, and in low stakes television, is an art because if nothing's at stake, sometimes there, there's no narrative drive and there's no reason to watch. But I think it gets underrated because a lot of television is narrative driven, and they do want to make you carry on watching. Yeah. That sometimes the reason you come back to something is because you'll feel really safe there. That they're just going to carry on. They're they're not going to be. They're not going to fall out. Yes. There was a nice interview was, I read with them where someone said, oh, you've been doing this for X years. Uh, are you going to go off and do projects on your own? And they just said, well, I get to spend all my time with my best mate. Why would I want to stop? 
Yeah, and well, and this week, Sai had to do the morning TV show. I forget which one it is he does, but he had to do it without Dave because yes, Dave is course. having chemo. And he said, uh, it, it, it's so strange to be here on my own. I did think watching this that there are two fantasies going on. And one is the fantasy of what's on screen, which is, wouldn't it be lovely to go somewhere beautiful and have some lovely food? Yeah, absolutely. And have a big smile Dream on your face. Job. Dream it, job, ride your bike around. Yeah, yeah, it looks great. The other fantasy is, wouldn't it be great to come up with a thing that would pay my wages, a TV format that would enable me to have books and tie-in pennies and never worry again. Yeah. And all I had to do was ride around and eat with my best friend. Yeah. So there's an extra level, I think, of watching it. A friend, a friend said this about uh, the Harry Potter books, that when the Harry Potter books came out they were, and you were reading them to your kid at night, there were two fantasies going on. One was the fantasy the kids could hear, which is, you're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> oh, I might be a wizard. What if I got away from boring school and went to magic school? And the other fantasy was, you're an author, Joe. You could sit in a cafe and make something up and become a billionaire. And all the grown-ups were going, I could write this. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. roll dolls cobbled together. <laughs> Bits of the worst witch. God, how hard is this? And all the grown-ups were fantasizing about writing their own version of this book. And there's this thing sometimes when you're watching a really good formatted show, where at the back of your brain you go, this would be a brilliant job. Making this for would be sure. a brilliant oh, for job. Sure. So we, we, we have this kind of thing going on um, when I watch it with my son. You know, he has said, I really, really want to work on this show because... yeah. Because they're not going to eat everything they make, are they? They're making all this stuff. Somebody is going to be polishing off the leftovers. Is there Probably a job? The director, the produ- production assistant. And my dream job, on if I couldn't be the person, if I couldn't be the person riding around on the bike, yeah. uh, which I used to do, I used to have a big motorbike. Oh, right. um, but if yeah, if I couldn't be the person riding around on the bike, you know, around the Baltic Sea, what I would like to do if there is a vacancy is be the person who chooses. The music. Dandelion and burdock was traditionally made from fermented dandelion and burdock root, hence the name. This traditional drink is rumoured to have been around since the Middle Ages. One of my favourites. used to drink this when I was a kid. Because that's another element that I think goes quite under the radar. They have yeah. brilliant soundtracks. It's really good, isn't it? It's big. The soundtracks are brilliant and sometimes they're kind of comical, like they will find a a song that is about, you know, frying meat when they're frying yeah. some meat. So they'll do a sort of comedy version. But then otherwise, when it's just shots of them riding their bikes, they've got some brilliant music going on in the background. <laughs> and I would love that job. After years of travelling abroad... Oh, it's nice to be back, mate, isn't it? Music sense. Just in case they're, they're offering In that. case anyone's listening. Um, that, yeah. or, the, or the eating, the, the eating the leftovers. Well, I would, do the, I would do the choosing of the music and then if there's food left over, I right. would probably pack it up and bring it home. Like, like, like being yeah. a dog under the table. Yeah, That's exactly. your job. I used to wonder that about Bake Off, thinking that no, and I remember saying to Sue once, do you get you really fat? Because you're <laughs> eating cake the whole time. I always imagined that round the outside of the tent was just like this vomit. Like wine tasters. Spitting cake at piles of rotting cake. Loads of crows and birds coming down, just piles of vomit. Mm. I mean, I've never had a burger and candy floss before. That is ridiculously good. It is ridiculously good, isn't it? When you were saying that about um, hanging out with your best friend, I've never... Yeah met them but i did once 
past them in oh. the street in Soho. And it was sort of post-lunch. So maybe they'd been out for a lunch somewhere or they'd been for a meeting. But they were walking down the street, kind of shoulder to shoulder, leaning into each other and giggling. Oh. And it made me think, oh, they are like that in real life. That's I just, don't think you can fake it. What they, no, you, I know it didn't look fake at all. It was like, no, they, one of them had clearly said something that made the other one oh, really lovely. giggle. And it was just, I thought, oh, that's that's them. Yeah, that's what you see, what you see is what you get. And uh, I, that's why I love them. <laughs> Oh, and there was a lovely thing. Um, so in that in this series that's on iPlayer, the um, the journey through the north, yeah. Harry Bikers go north. So when they go back to their little house after the first days, riding yeah. around and tasting things after dinner, Cy brings out this scrapbook that his mum has kept of Aww. their career, and his mum who died quite recently. Um, and he said, "I've brought this to surprise Dave with it." Well, the tea's brewing, bro. I thought you might like to see this. Bit of a surprise for you, is it? It's a one new. You're joking. <gasps> These pictures. And he opens it up and the first thing that she's cut out and stuck in this book is um, their first ever magazine cover, which was from the Observer Food magazine. And he turns it over and the interview was done by a very dear friend of mine, Ewan Ferguson, mm-hmm. who also died this year. And it was, for me, I was re-watching that the oh. other day and I was like, oh, it was all these kind of all threaded through lovely each things coming together. Yeah, so that was their first big magazine article, which was the interview done by one of my oldest oh. friends. And uh, um, Sai's mum has kept this as a thing and they're sharing that. And Dave got a little bit teary when he was looking at it. That was our first first big press we had, wasn't it? Yeah. And the pictures were amazing. Yeah. Hey, the whole thing was just beautiful. So well, There's a sense that you've been on the journey with them, watch, yeah. watching them through this. Again, what you're watching when you, when you watch something like this, which is kind of ambient telly, it's not like you're not sort of on the edge of your seat it's it's a welcome place to go back to and the reason it's welcome to go back to is it's well made and the food's good but you're not going to cook you said you're not going to copy their recipes the instructions aren't any use it's not doing mm. its job for you but you're just back with your friends you want to spend yeah. more time with your friends yeah. and people forget that about the reason you go back to a sitcom is you want to spend time with these people the reason that the first three episodes of a sitcom are never any fucking good yeah is you don't know the people yet give it a fucking minute uh, you, the reason season two of things is often better than season one is yes. you know these people now, as do the writers. It's familiarity, yeah. and familiarity is comfort, and these are your your friends, and you well, get that, to be the, an, a friend yeah. with these people who are friends. Yeah. I mean, that's the success of any kind of series of books, and I, you yeah. know, I write a series, and I'm very conscious that people get attached to the character as you go yeah. on, and you get to know the characters better. But it's And it's the same with, I think, long-running TV it's an investment, isn't yeah. it? You're, you're investing time with each other and you're sharing your lives and you will have changed as well along with them. And what you're watching when you're watching this isn't just bikes, cookery, uh, music, scenery, that kind of thing, and history. The central thing that link, that's linking all those things, the reason you're watching it at all is you're watching two friends yeah. and you're watching their friendship develop and their friendship develop as well. You said you've just seen Sion on his own on TV. That's a new development in the relationship is that one of them is ill. And you're totally invested in that and you yeah. want them to pull through and you're hoping you will do. And the reason there are news stories about it at all is the idea of one without the other is Eric and Ernie without yeah, each other. It's, it feels yeah. really, you can't, you don't want change. You mm. want stability. And the stability is that I suppose what you're watching is you're watching them go different places. Everything is changing around them except them. Yeah. They're your fixed point. And whenever you come back to the program, they're still there. And that probably feels quite warm. Yeah, and I love and like the idea of kind of change within familiarity. That's one of the things that they do best when they travel and when they go to 
kind of more exotic places than, yeah. than Cumbria. Um, but season when they, one, they go to Namibia and yeah. things. They, they go, That's they go amazing. To, you know, well, but when they I come, thought they'd go there slowly, but season one, episode two, Namibia. Yeah. <laughs> but also, but the, what they then do is try and cook foods that are familiar and recognisable, yeah. but with a local twist. So they'll do a sort of bread and butter pudding, but... An Egyptian style <laughs> one, or you know, whatever it is, and it's um, that's what I love about it. They they will make they make people feel at home. I think yeah. where, wherever they go in the world, and they want to feel at home with the people that they are among. You know, I think we've learnt more about what cooking from you and the seafood in three minutes than we have done in like ten years of pottering. You know, I want to try that recipe again. Yeah, work on the watchy. One of the things it reminded me of as well, and we've mentioned it a couple of times. Um, I've heard people use this as a criticism. It feels like children's television. It's got a blue Peterness to yes. it. Yes. It's yeah. got a. We went on an amazing adventure. Was anything bad? No. Everything was possible. We met some people. They were disabled. Yeah. It's got that yes. feeling. Yes. <laughs> were they having a terrible time? No. Weirdly, you'd think they were having a terrible time. They were having a lovely time. And do you know what? Everyone can do wonderful things. And it comes through in the voiceover, which it's a very voiceover show. Yes. There's a lot of them doing VO while they're on a bike and they're clearly doing VO afterwards. Yeah. And they're calling yeah. to, oh, Kingy, we're doing this. Speaking of the banks, Kingy, Hong Kong has more billionaires per capita than anywhere else in the world. Well, it's a bit artificial, but I went, oh, it feels a little bit like, are you going to Trumpton? Yeah. Are we going to, oh, where are we going today? And it goes, oh, it's got the comfortable rhythms and sounds and values of great public service children's television. Yeah. Good morning, Mr Murphy. Ready to go on your rounds? Are you going to Trumpton? Chigley? May we come with you? Yeah. Which is probably why it works for families. I don't think yeah. it's patronising as much as it's welcoming. Yeah, no, I think it is. I think welcoming is absolutely what it is. I'd love to know what their audience demographic is because yeah. I would imagine it's incredibly broad. But, um, <laughs> you know, this is why I like some of the, the more recent travel shows where they will take the time to visit, you know, a concentration camp or right. a kind of when they go to Romania, they go to uh, the site of, you know, some sort of terrible um, orphanage where terrible things happened and they will talk about the history in a you know not in huge detail but just in a way that maybe people who aren't familiar with that yeah. will just know because they're trusted and they're friendly slightly... their friendly voices can accommodate some quite harsh stuff yeah and the harsh stuff about themselves and about mental health and all their own issues because you know them and they're a friendly voice and that is again why does that work on children's television because you trust yeah. whoever your blue peter presenter is whoever the person is to say this is safe we can talk about this here so a comfort program can contain some quite savage yeah honesty which again makes it lovely it's nice to be talked to that way within a within a, a format that allows you to feel looked after and cosseted yeah and i think that's why i i like it better now than in the early days when they were making sort of dupe slightly double entendre yeah. jokes or um in the hairy dieters there's one point where dave talks about how having lost a bit of weight his libido has come, has come <laughs> right, back and yeah. at that point you go Oh, but I don't want to think oh, about no, Dave's libido. Because you're a cartoon no, character. Because you're my friendly, cuddly uncles yeah. who make lovely puddings. Yeah, I, I don't want to think about your... Post and Pat's sex yeah. life is off limits. Exactly. He's so got that's... children. There's loads of ginger children in the village. I don't, know what, I don't want to know how. So at that point, it's like, oh no, I don't know. Make some more baked apples. I don't want to, I don't want to think about Dave's Pan libido. to the stove. Yeah. Pan across the um, stove. That whole element of yeah. it. They're not, they're not people you would fancy. Yeah, they're yeah. people you would just like to hang out with and have, you know, a nice glass of wine and shepherd's pie with it has it has, it has areas no... it can't go yeah but they're surprising ones because you can go to some quite sort of raw places yeah. oh um, yeah i'm happy to watch them walking around a you know a concentration camp and getting quite tearful about that that's great but i just don't want to have to think about them 
having sex. Or being real people, I suppose. Or being real people, no, exactly. <laughs> They're not, they're fancy characters. Um, yeah, maybe that's what it is. With these sort of shows, I think the pandemic and lockdowns really brought this out. There was a feeling that families were watching television together again because you can't sit in a house alone mm. uh, and sit in a corner and just watch The Wire and ignore each other. There was a feeling that we needed to get back around to sort of hearth and agree on what we were going to watch. And people, it's funny what people yeah. found they were going to watch. And in my family, we watched Taskmaster a lot. Or people suddenly said the Bake Off became really important. Strictly was a huge deal. Oh, huge, yeah. People were yeah. gathering around to watch those programs together. If your th- if your show is going to be the bikers, it's got to be a show that appeals transgenerationally. And I did wonder whether one of the things that these programs are ahead of their time with, and if you trace this back and you go, it's bikers and it's Rick Stein, Keith Floyd, even they're very personality driven, and they're people you want to be friends with, and that makes them influencers or Instagrammers. And parents are always saying, "I don't want my kids watching that YouTube all the time." There's just a kid talking about games, and you go. Yeah, but that's my kid's friend. Yeah. The reason you watch these programmes is it's remarkable how little the content matters as long as you're watching someone who you trust and who you like. And it feels a bit like this is where television crosses over with sort of YouTube. And I'm wondering if that's why these shows appeal to kids because they've got big, likeable characters in them. Real people who you just trust. And I was watching this thinking, this is the kind of show that television a few years ago would have said, oh, there's no content in it. Mm. But as now you go, weirdly, this is the closest you get to the most popular content on earth, which is yeah. people looking straight on the camera and going, I did a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what actually, what, talking about the evolution, particularly of the bikers, I think that's why the, the cooking has almost become less and less... Yeah important in the show because what you're tuning in for is to spend time with them uh, and to hear them talk about the stuff that they're passionate about and that's yeah that's as much as so there it used to be that with every series there would be a tie-in cookbook so that yeah. you could make the things they'd made on the telly whereas mm. now like you said they don't give you the recipes straight away I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can go and google them yeah but and they are still producing cookbooks but there isn't a kind of that immediate sort of follow-on where it's it's that closely tied that you'll see them make something and then you'll go and try it You yourself. must join in. Yeah. We're doing this together. It's more yeah, like you'll no, watch it, us do it. it. It's, it's ambient. Yeah. And I do think that, that um, yeah, in terms of pandemic viewing, where you, you want to kind of something that can appeal to everybody and that you can also kind of get involved in. And that's why we loved it. Um, I mean, my son took a gap year over the pandemic. And so we were at home a lot and yeah. watching a lot of telly. And um and that was the one thing we kept coming back to. We kept sort of digging out old, like what what old DVDs have we got of the yeah. bikers? Where have we got, you know, what old, um, what's on iPlayer? What can we keep going back to? Uh, because it is just so, you know, there's no, going to be no sharp edges in it. Or yeah. like we said, even when there are when they are talking about difficult things, it's it is, um, yeah, there's a kind of trust thing. It's yeah. a relationship that that TV can do, um, and it reminds me of. It's not just YouTube, which would be what I, I think the equivalent would be for, for, for kids who sit watching Dan TDM talk about games all day. You go, oh, it's the same thing. It's someone you know, and they talk about a thing you're vaguely interested in. But the main reason I'm watching this is someone talking. Um, I remember wandering into the room and my kid was doing something, playing Lego, writing, drawing. And there was a YouTuber on in the background. And I said, for God's sake, do one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Either have the television on with a YouTuber rabbiting away about nothing or do something. And my kid said, Dad, it's the radio. And I went, oh, God, it is, isn't it? 
this is the relationship that I had, my generation had, with radio DJs. Yeah. They were just a familiar person. There's nothing the bikers are doing that Terry Wogan didn't used to do. It's just a nice voice in the room. Yeah. And I think we underrate sometimes how much our relationship with TV stars isn't because they're astonishing dancers or comedians. It's just they're a nice person to have in the room. Yeah. And there was a, there was a definite phase in TV where, certainly in reality shows, where the you know, the pursuit was of the, the the worst person in the world because that was good telly. <laughs> Abrasive and you couldn't yeah. look away. And yeah. you wanted conflict and you wanted yeah. somebody who was going to say something unexpectedly awful that would make everyone else go, yeah. <gasps> um, But But now I think maybe it's the result of the pandemic or maybe we've just sort of, there's enough of that on social media that that yes. has just become, it, we're so used to, Yes. Unpleasant, vicious people spewing out bile there, on every other there's outlet. There's a pipe over there that yeah. it comes in through. It's like you don't want that on the telly anymore. You want to see kind of people encouraging each other. A show like this, which is about friendship, and its core has got two really good friends, is a perfect example of, of the journey that television's been on the last yeah, it really 20 is. years. And what audiences want from it as well. I mean, I think that definitely shows in the, the way that, the bikers are talking to each other, the the kind of people they are seeking out to include in the show. Yeah, there's a very definite kind of warmth and inclusivity that, you know, that is, it, it's clearly gone in that direction. And I think audiences are responding to that. I mean, the thing to say about these shows as well is if you sort of said, it's some friends and they go on a bike and they eat food, and you'd go, well, I can make that. Everyone can make that. And the thing about these shows is, no, you can't. They're always made by brilliant teams. This is very easy television to watch, but I bet it's not easy to make. I bet it involves a huge amount of skill. Oh, and you can see the work that's gone into it. I mean, just in every recent series they've done, clearly the research work that's gone in in advance to find the people that they talk to, to yeah. find when they did the Route 66 one. I mean, how many restaurants and bars must there be <laughs> along Route 66. But they found these really quirky, interesting people who are doing something very different, something kind of, yeah. you know, socially progressive, something that's, you know, the, the work that's gone into finding the interviewees is, is another And the stories, thing. and so it keeps yeah. moving and it keeps interesting and they're all different. I, and they look beautiful. You know, they are beautifully shot. And that I, that is where I think the biking element comes into yes. it. Because if you just had a couple of presenters being put in a taxi from A to B. <laughs> it's not the same thing, whereas the, you can get these beautiful establishing shots where you've got the two of them in convoy going on, on a drone shot of um, them going up a road through the Lake District, yeah. a beautiful empty road, and that's the dream, whether you've ever been on a motorbike or not. Just the idea of being on an empty road through beautiful scenery is a bit of a fantasy for all of us. So there's that aspect of it as well. It's The, the production values are fantastic, even though they're quite often cooking over a little camp stove you know, on yeah. the edge of a canal or something. Or it's in a sort of simple, but, but there's but a beautiful they, escapism yeah, to it. They make it look lovely. Wherever they are in the world, they make it look really beautiful. There, a lot of care goes into making it, even though it looks like it's kind of being, you know, they look like they're sort of putting it all together on the day. They're very, they're very skilled assemblies. There, there is a, an art to making these and making them seem effortless and smooth and making it feel like this is uniquely their world. And there's a thing with these shows that, that you, that there are lots of these. There are good ones and bad ones and ones you like and ones you don't like. And they're all built on sort of the same formula of travel, meeting people, cooking. There are ones of these on American networks and mm. ones on British networks. Where do you choose your one? I think people are very loyal. Yes. And they're either, oh, I'm all Rick Stein. I hate the bikers. Or, yeah. I, I'm yeah. like, oh, I like that. I've got I like man versus food. I don't really like this one. So you'll 
pick your one that's yours and you go, oh, it's great. You can choose your friend. Yeah. Your fr- who are your friends? Who do you trust? And they all feel sort of very bespoke. They're beautiful and they're made really well and they're made for you. Yeah. It's a really nice feeling. And I do think that really meant a lot to people in, you know, over that year of the pandemic where we weren't allowed to sort of months on end talk to anyone you weren't related to by blood. Um, <laughs> by which point you're heartily sick of the sight of your own family. But um, they, they, so they are your friends who come yeah. into your, they, who, they come into your house, you invite them in and then you watch them make lovely things and make you laugh and listen to them chatting to each other. And I think that's a part of, yeah, I think the loyalty of it is is really important. You've chosen your house guests. Yeah, exactly. Who do you let into your front room and who do you share your time with and go once a, once a week we'll watch this or if we're binging it twice a yeah. day or whatever. But you're inviting someone into your house and people have a very intimate relationship with TV people, especially when you're just watching Friends. Not Friends, the television yeah. program. You're watching two friends mess about or whatever. That you're saying, well, basically I'm inviting a guest around. It's very intimate. And people have this relationship with, with broadcasters and TV stars and radio stars and internet stars, you get very protective of your people, mm. your DJ, that you have a relationship with these people and, and, and it can last. Yeah, and I, I think that's why, you know, it's a headline news when one of them is unwell, like yes. as, as Dave is at the moment. And then we see Simon on his own on the TV it's talking about being with him. <laughs> well, it's like seeing like a, it's like seeing you know, your parents widowed or something. Yeah, it's a member of your family. You sort of feel like, you know, this isn't right. And and that's why, you know, obviously we're all kind of sending Dave best wishes for a a speedy recovery because you can't imagine one of them without the other. And, you know, they are, they're sort of part of our, part of that fabric of, yeah, of our kind of entertainment world. It's such a sweet story that obviously in, at a time of great distress, you would adopt two big hairy men to your family. (laughs) It's quite moving that you choose Choose the two bikers and make them yours and look after them. But they did, yeah. And we, you know, and um, for my son as well, it was a very much a kind of. I mean, we watched a lot of comedy. He doesn't tend to like sort of crime stuff and, yeah. and the kind of stuff that I watch. But that it was the, always the bikers was the thing we could always come together and watch. Um, watch that in the evening if it had been a, a tough day or if. You know, it's, there's just such kind of pleasure in watching them make something lovely and then tuck into it with <laughs> some new friends they've just made. And uh, yeah, it's that's great. incredible, basic human interaction. I think it's it gets forgotten sometimes when people sort of talk about filler television, which sometimes this gets regarded as, is it's fulfilling a really basic need, which is company mm. and the fantasy yeah. of of good times together, of good living. And it's it's almost like it's an advert. And a reminder to live. Because what they're doing is you're watching people living a really good life. They're with their best friend, going somewhere great. A thing yeah. you might fantasise about. And I think maybe they stopped being programmes that told you how to cook. And they became programmes that reminded you to cook. And reminded you to eat. And reminded you to look around and appreciate your life. Because all yeah. you're watching, the yeah. look on their faces as they ride in somewhere smiling is that they're really happy to be alive. And maybe, especially during a lockdown, when you only just, you see each other and you're frightened, that you just wanted to see some people who said, do you know what? We're living. Yeah. Here's a list of things you need to do to live. And don't forget, here's your tick list. Make sure you do some of these. Yeah, absolutely. And I think having, you know, uh, the fact that for them, 
recently, you know, given that Cy was so ill and there was yeah. a point where Dave said, you know, they have a conversation about it and Dave says to him, I didn't know if I was going to see my friend again. And, you know, that's uh, the fact that they've been through that and have come out the other side of it and have sort of said, right, you know, let's kind of go and do what we do best. And, and um, yeah, it's an appreciation for all of those things. It's an appreciation for, for company, for, for friendship, for connection with people for finding things that you have in common and for just, you know, lovely food and lovely scenery and travel and all of those things. That's why it brings me so much joy. Brilliant. Long may they continue. Yes. It's almost like you're watching this as a reminder, a checklist, a to-do list. Must remember, live properly. And certainly at a time when, when it was harder to live, a little reminder of that must be so valuable. So brilliant. Thank you for bringing them in. Thank you. Comfort Blanket was presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs>